Capcom leaks. And IO makes their drinks shaken, not stirred. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast, where I am your host, Brett Beck, and apparently our intro works this week. Alongside me, as always, is Mr. Saul Bridges. How you doing, sir? Good, good, good. How are you? Doing well. I see that you're still in a PS5-less world, but that's okay. I looked at Target yesterday. Did you? I got my hopes up. <laughs> well, if there's anything you should know right now is to not get your hopes up. True. Though, interestingly enough, uh, there was a... Cole's PS5 Black Friday bundle that came with an extra DualSense and Spider-Man and a blender Ultimate Edition <laughs> and a blender nah. but um, and it was somewhat reasonably priced like of all the bundles I've seen it was only like six thirty nine for a disc-based version with all that stuff not bad that is not bad actually a lot of the bundles I've seen are like they're just trying to get the price up into the 800s to a thousand by being like you want this 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 and this right that's how every console bundle seems to be like when they first when consoles first come out some of the bundles are ridiculous GameStop's bundles are the ones that are always weird to me and you start looking at them and it's just never worth it and it's like why don't you have a more reasonable bundle why are all the bundles in the 800s why would you not just have a bundle of the system a headset and the charging stand Maybe for six fifty, yeah, or a game and the an extra controller and the console for six fifty or somewhere around there. I don't I don't understand GameStop's bundles. Um, what made me laugh one time was I opened up their app to look at a trade in. This was a long time ago, and it said if you buy a PS4 Pro, you get one of those GameStop mystery boxes with it. I'm oh. like, why? Like you're just giving them away, I guess at this point. Like no, nobody. That's not gonna really give anybody an incentive to get a PlayStation 4 Pro? Ah, who knows? The way that they do stuff is very odd. I'm not dunking on them. It's just oh, clearly they because I don't even know what it was, but they're a very odd company, and where they're at right now is... Who, who knows? Maybe this Microsoft deal with them ends up doing them a lot of favors, but... If this is your first time watching the podcast or listening to the podcast, stick around to the end where you can find out where you can find us and how often the episode drops and how you can get in on the community stake. But we start the show off the right way, and that's a simple... What have you been playing, Saul? I think I know the answer. I'm assuming Destiny 2. <laughs> One game this week, and it's Destiny 2. Yeah. Um, realistically, like I finished the campaign on my Warlock and Titan. and then Oh, so you finished the, what is it called? Beyond Light. Beyond Light. Yeah, campaign. I, I finished that. And then I started on my Hunter, but then I realized that the level for the raid is going to be up there. So like I started doing all my Powerfuls a couple days ago on both characters. And yesterday morning, I woke up and did everything that I could until my map screen was empty of all pinnacle drops. And I'm still like 224 or 224, 1224. Okay. So even then, I don't think we're going to try to raid tonight. I don't think that's going to be high enough to raid. Like so I think you're still a warlock main. Is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, well, it's it, warlock and Titan main, Okay. which is, which is the weirdest evolution for me because all of destiny one, I played nothing but warlock with a little bit of hunter, never played Titan. Then in Destiny 2, I started playing as Titan, then and alternated between Titan and Hunter, and then now it's nothing but Warlock and Titan. Yeah, I know I made a big switch too because I was Titan primarily on Destiny 1, which I only played like just under 100 hours of Destiny 1 maybe. So well, it wasn't I, that much of a lock. I wouldn't say on, under 100 hours. You probably played 200 plus. No, because I, I went and checked the other day and then my how long did I spend on Destiny? About 100 hours. Well, does that, that doesn't account the Xbox one, though. Yeah, on Xbox, I played for like the 20 hours or so that we played 30. I, I feel like we played more than that. 
So like, maybe 130 total. Maybe. I mean that, but yeah. Um, either way, that total link thing actually brings me to something. I know that typically, or at least I feel like typically, the big update that they do, which is always kind of staggered, or is it still one main yearly big update, or is it every two years is the big one? Like, is Beyond Light considered like the next big expansion, or was that still um, Shadow Keep? Uh, well, it's kind of weird because it always, it always, it almost always seems like the way Destiny works is when it comes out, like Destiny Two launched, and then it's first. Uh, DLCs were like under like they were small like Curse of Osiris and mm-hmm. Warmind yeah. which is like the Dark Below and Crota's End which they don't um, do like that anymore wait right? what is it called no uh, they don't do small small ones like that anymore that's what I mean like mainly it's just the the big one for the year whether it's the next and I guess that's what I mean is since I've been outside of Destiny so long Forsaken felt like the Taken King to an extent of Destiny what? Two, though maybe the argument would be that Shadowkeep is more the Taken King for Destiny Two. No, I don't know. No, Forsaken is like the best expansion that Destiny's ever seen, in my opinion. Um, that and Taken King are like two of the only ones. But in terms of like stuff getting added, like you got Mercury added with Curse of Osiris, but then Mercury super small. But then you got uh, Dreaming City and the Reef added in with uh, Forsaken. Forsaken. Then you got the Moon added in with. Shadowkeep, which is a massive area, and then you got Europa added in with Beyond Light, which is also a massive area. Europa might be the single biggest area they've ever added. Is Europa going back to Earth outside of the part from Destiny One? Well, that got added too. You got Cosmodrome back. Well, I know Cosmodrome, but I mean, is it the area around the Cosmodrome, like you know, outside of the Cosmodrome? What do you mean? I guess I should say like like planets. Europa sounds familiar. So is Europa a planet or is it part of Earth? Europa is a moon. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so Europa is its own like destination on the map. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's fun. Like all the subclasses, the builds are kind of the same as last last season, but it's a little bit more different. Um, at the same time, uh, the exotic stuff is cool in this game. I li- I like all the exotic they added for each class. Like um, your warlock, uh, your warlock gets an has an exotic now called necrotic grips, where you spread poison. Okay, and if you tie that in with Thorn, you just spread so much poison, you just kill all the ads easily with it. The Titan got a exotic called Icefall Mantle, where instead of using the barrier, because I guess nobody used the barrier or not a lot of people used the shield that popped out, uh, you convert that energy into an overshield. Okay, and you like become frozen, like you have frost armor all over you. And the Hunter got one that like essentially does the Captain teleport that the Fallen do. Like, okay, where yeah. they face through air. But that, yeah, that's been it this week. Nothing, nothing too much. Um, what about you? Anything new? So, I uh, platinum Spider Man Miles Morales, and then I moved on from that because you had to replay it again with New Game Plus. So after I finally kind of sped through that, which when is one of those things where when you know what you're doing, this this it was like four hours. <laughs> oh wow! Because it lets you skip some cutscenes, but not all. I wish it would have been more, but. I understand. It's just if you're going to give me a trophy that I have to, if I want to get the platinum up front, I've got to immediately replay the game. I'd rather just fly through it. So thankfully, it was still quick. It could have been even quicker, but I moved on to Bug Snacks. And I got to tell you, I always thought Bug Snacks looked fantastic. It looked funny and, and like kind of whimsical and charming. But I'm a little surprised that A, how good the story actually is. Like, it's goofy, but there's some serious stuff going on within it. Yeah. And then how compelling the puzzle mechanics would be because it's kind of set up in this way. 
to where you're just given a host of mechanics and how you choose to blend them together if you're not going to play the lookup card, which if that's what you got to do to enjoy the game and have fun with it, then do it. But I would urge you to, as much as possible, try and figure out how to catch the buck snacks on your own. Look at all the mechanics you have at your hands and essentially think of ways that you can mix them, match them and try and get your, your thing. I've had several moments where I thought of something that I honestly didn't think would work, but I was determined to just try it and it worked. And that was cool. I really liked that. Another thing about Bucks, uh, Bucks Snacks in particular is it kind of feels, it gives me so many Pokemon vibes because all the Bucks Snacks kind of say their own names. So it feels like the old Pokemon thing. And of course they are food that looks alive, which is somewhat now of a Pokemon cliche, but going through, I guess I'm kind of, I would love a Pokemon snap slash Safari game where the whole point is you just going around and catching Pokemon this way, because it almost feels more compelling to catch Pokemon this way than at this point where I'm getting a little bored of catching them through standard battle. I don't know. This game has just made me rethink the way I view a Pokemon style game. And if nothing else, keep making the normal Pokemon games, but bring back a, bring back something new with a little bit more of this in there. I just think it's kind of fun and there's a story that could be told within it, but yeah, I'm really loving it. Probably gonna go for platinum on it. I've been meaning to add it to my PlayStation plus. You most certainly should. It looks like it's going to be there until February. Whenever, um, destruction all stars hits the other PlayStation games, they kind of moved off to it. But another cool thing about it is, uh, where I think miles Morales and demon souls are lesser shows of the dual senses features. Like they're still there and I still do enjoy it. I think that Bucksnax does a really good job of kind of showing it when you're running and sprinting, you feel each leg hit and then it only vibrates just a hair on each side of the controller. So if like, your left leg would hit, it vibrates on the left side. That's pretty cool. I like that. Whenever you're going to scan in the game, which you can like, you know, move around and look and scan the bug snacks to learn stuff about them, which makes it feel like Pokemon Snap to an extent. Whenever you go to do that, the adaptive trigger clicks and then the controller makes like a camera click noise and it really feels like you're using like a camera with that little functionality. So there's a lot of cool stuff when you're when you've got a it's not necessarily realistic, but when you've got your slingshot pulled back for you to shoot sauces, it kind of it's a little harder to pull back, and then as you're holding it, it'll click, 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 and kind of like fight back on you a little bit until you let go. So see, I like that. That's fun kind use, kind of like an immersive. Like honestly, I'm surprised there isn't more of like a photography game because like when you think about it, there's that, and then there's Pokemon Snap, and like there's nothing else that has like a full on focus like that. Yeah, <laughs> by pun. <laughs> but I intend to get into some other stuff. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do next i mean i know one things i have next that you should get into for the new spoiler chat series which we are going to be having an episode for miles morales popping up soon so hopefully if you've played that you'll join us for that discussion and uh see what we think about it me and chris but i I don't know you know you've been talking about destiny and i've been talking about wanting to get back into warframe but i was wanting to wait until the ps5 enhancements hit which i think they might have so whether or not it's happened yet, I I'm, I might just hop in, see where it's at right now, and if the enhancements are not there, just kind of play around. We were actually talking Try about how hand. Warframe, and it's kind of ridiculous how they're still tied to characters. Your character's tied to the server, I mean. Oh, yeah, the way that your account is basically made. Because somebody made, we were talking about something else last night, and then I was like, yeah, in Warframe, you can't delete your character because it's tied to the server. And I'm like, well, what do you mean you can't delete your character? I said, if you start a character, 
that's your character. You just have to choose a different frame. Well, they said, what if I haven't played in two years and I come back? I said, you'll be just as lost as me who hasn't played in four years and wants to come back. Yeah, as far as I know, you can go back and redo the missions that teach you the stuff, but you've got to know what those missions are, or at least you've got to go try and look. Yeah, I'm not saying it's impossible. I come back and normally can play for 20 to 30 hours every time I come back with minimal problems. It's kind of like how it is with No Man's Sky, where you just hop back in and a lot's changed, but there's also some that stays the same. So, I mean, you know, it's not perfect in terms of the way they do that, but... Well, No Man's Sky also sets up the, the, the world really well. It's like you crash land, now here's your steps. Like it, cause I, well, I, and you can clearly start a new character in right. No Man's Sky, but I'm just saying if, if you didn't, I feel like this, it's a similar thing where it doesn't mean you'll be immediately familiar, but you can get to grips with it pretty quickly as long as you've played for a little while. Yeah. Even if you didn't, it's like destiny. Even if I don't play in two years, I can come back and roughly understand how to play because I played enough destiny. True. So ultimately these are games that are very hard to forget as long as you've put a decent bit of time into them. It's like Anthem. Every time I come back to Anthem is months apart, but it still feels like I know what I'm doing. Even if I've got to stumble a little more into it, you know, but it's like I can play competently at least. I wonder what the PS5 uh, enhancements for Warframe will look like. Yeah, from the video, it looks really good. <laughs> a lot more dense, uh, you know, environments and stuff, which is something I hope to see from Destiny. Um, you know, different shading and different shaders for grass and stuff to really up the ante while also getting the game running at, uh, you know, 4K resolution and 60 frames per second, which I know is a goal for both Warframe and Destiny. So True. But honestly, Destiny looks fine. It's not a bad-looking game, so even if Destiny were to just make it 4K60 with exactly what they have, I'm not blaming them, but I like that Warframe's going the extra like mile to be like, we're improving our tree shaders and our grass shaders. We're going to you know redo lighting and the way that reflections and shadow mapping works. But the argument could also be made that since Destiny was always a buy-it-to-play-it initially, that the game probably had a slightly stronger foundation than Warframe anyway in terms of graphical choices since it wasn't free to play. Excuse me, free to play. Yeah. But, yeah, I have some plans of what I want to play next. I'm trying to work out where I want to put Sackboy A Big Adventure because it looks really good. But I'm mostly excited for you to get a PS5 just to see what you think of the system in a more hands-on thing. It's right. like I get, and, and not that you even would, like I get that my PlayStation's here and you could, and somebody might argue, well, why wouldn't you? But I get it. It's not. I, I may play just enough to be like, okay, yeah, I'm still excited for it, but I want to still save some of the magic for myself. That's true. There's yeah. nothing like unboxing a brand new console that, for the first time. Yeah. All right, man. We're going to go into the community's take, but before we hop into the community's take, we're going to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor for this episode, Manscaped. So if you want to treat your balls right, <laughs> you can go and grab the lawnmower 3.0, which uh, helps you shave up nice and clean without having to worry about nicking your balls. And if anybody knows, nicking your balls is the worst. It is. So uh, you get the ball deodorant, which Saul went on a, a big tangent about last episode. Uh, he loves it for work, and I do too. It works Even though well. we do very different work jobs. And um, then the ball toner, which is pretty interesting. Every day. The, the thing on. about the ball toner that got me is I, I finally used mine the other day, and I kind of was like, it's tingly for just a second. Yeah, I don't have that. <laughs> so you may get an added bonus with yours. I, I... <laughs> It's not crazy. It was just like I was reading it and I was like, okay, this is an interesting basic idea. But hey, you know what? Treat your package with the whole package. 
And guess what? If you get the uh, perfect package 3.0. You get like a cool leather bag. Like, like even if you don't travel. I don't have, even really use these things, but yeah, they're nice. Yeah, yeah, like I don't I don't travel with my stuff like that because I, I just I don't. But you have a cool bag. Yeah, and I should say I've not traditionally used those, but I found myself using it because of this. True. I so. mean that's that's you know, you don't also you don't always get a premium leather bag with all your stuff. But uh yeah, you know, take it from somebody with sensitive skin. The stuff works well. And hey, you might be one of those that, you know, you like to go a little wild down there. Well guess what? Christmas is right around the corner and this is a perfect Christmas gift. Get, <laughs> give one to your dad, you know, make that Christmas fun. But for those that are curious as where you can get it, check out manscaped.com and use discount code SQRD. For a good old 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Yep. That's SQRD. Thank you all to, for supporting us, and this is the perfect way to do it. And if you can't, that's okay. All right, we're going to get into the community's take real quick. Our question, we kind of had a quick pivot because I think that, you know, we decided that originally we were debating whether we wanted to do a Games of the Generation episode, but we wanted to give a little more time for everybody to get into that. So we decided to pivot and next episode will be games of the generation discussion. We understand that that naturally leaves out cyberpunk, but I think cyberpunk has had ample opportunity to come out and didn't. And I still feel like it's at this point, cyberpunk is going to be revered as more of a game that's for next gen, even if it's playable on current gen. I think it's too, I think it's too early in its lifetime to say this game of the generation though. I think that's also the thing It's like, well, but at the same time, not that I think it will happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if some game that came out this gener like this year is someone's game of the generation. I do like to feel like there's a little more reflection involved, but mainly I just think that cyberpunk is just going to end up being a PS five series X and PC game that happens to be playable on Xbox one and PS four in probably a lesser fashion. I would love to be proven wrong on that. And maybe it will end up being a, no, I shouldn't say a posthumous, but or posthumous, hate that way that's pronounced, but it could come around and end up being a, remembered as a game of the generation for PS4 and turns out great. But a lot of the gameplay and stuff that people are talking about and the reason it was delayed to begin with was because PS4 and Xbox One base models were having a really hard time playing it. Yeah. While next-gen consoles were being able to benefit from Game Boost probably to help hit whatever marks it needed to hit. So Hopefully. It is what it is. But ours was pretty simple this week. What we asked was, what PS4, Xbox One game has lasted you all generation? And to clarify... It was, what game do you have the most hours in, if that's more of a marker for you? Or, for certain people, it's which game do you find yourself coming back to and replaying, or just generally coming back to if it's a game that doesn't necessarily end often. And I'm glad we got a lot of different answers as a result from that. We did. Um, over on Discord, one of our patrons and our good buddies, especially Among Us buddies, uh, Rude Days, he says, so I have two answers to this. For the first half of this gen, my time was dominated by the Elder Scrolls Online. Coming off of Skyrim and being a big MMO fan, I was really into this game and was one of the founding members of a very active 100-person guild. That's actually pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, he said he fell off years later and now mostly finds himself always coming back to Apex Legends. It's my most preferred battle royale game uh, to play mainly because it's like the easiest to win without a good crew of friends that and if that makes sense it's uh, it's easy for you to jump into an online match and i actually agree to that uh, from the little bit i have played of apex it is very quick to join it is and it is not hard to win like there is skill involved in that but there's no real there's random chance i guess because it's random what weapons you get every game but it's not like fortnite where if you're shooting at someone they could just build a wall all of a sudden out of no out of nothing inherently so 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Once you get used to that game and you know abilities and stuff like that, I would definitely agree. Elder Scrolls Online is an interesting one because he mentions being like coming off of Skyrim, and realistically, the thing about the Elder Scrolls Online is that it looks and plays a lot like Skyrim. Not exactly, but clearly that was where their design element choices came from on how they wanted the UI to look, how they wanted basic holding of weapons and quick menu dropping around to look. Now, of course, MMO trappings have to change that. So, I just want to say this game plays nothing like Skyrim. Well, actually, I mean, I think that that's a little unfair. I think it does because one of the big things I like about where the game ended up is that most MMOs are just a click and you'll start to attack, but this game is real-time blocking, real-time attacking, and then skills are, of course, running through, on console at least, hitting buttons to run through your pre-selected skills that you have set up. On PC, it's your normal number pad bar. But in a lot of ways, it does what I liked about um DCUO, and there's more games about it now. MMOs, I think, have come a long way in having real-time combat. I shouldn't say real-time because that's not... But combat that you are constantly in control of instead of... And as much as I love RuneScape, there's something that's less fun about just clicking on something and attacking it. So one of the things that both DCUO did was like DCUO brought fighting game mechanics to a MMO. So it's like you're going to sit there and pull off combos in the middle of this with depending on what you are, your weapon or your fist. And then this was kind of like, well, we're going to bring traditional blocking in real time and attacking in real time to it so that you can fight enemies that way. But of course, bigger enemies, you're going to need to rely on skill sets. You have got to play Final Fantasy 14. Oh, I know. I played 14 on PC. And thankfully, it's more like that because Final Fantasy 11 online was a game I loved, but it was a lot more like Final Fantasy 12 where it's like a line to be drawn for you to the other yeah, person and you auto. would just kind of play until you could do a attack. You know, Final Fantasy XII was essentially a, a, not a linear, I should say, but a single-player MMO combat experience for all intents and purposes. It was. like it, I think it was a small gateway into MMO-style combats. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the game, like I said before, one of my favorite Final Fantasy games. Uh, Todd Burwitz on Twitter says GTA. And that's actually... Um, that's actually a good answer because I will count that um, because Ryan says too many live services to decide GTA five was from last gen, but it's installed on my PS4 this whole gen. Yeah, I think it does um, answer. It does work. And he also says division one, he plays about every Christmas GT sport is a mainstay and he couldn't get enough of red dead redemption online and no man's sky. So I think games like, like the division was last gen, wasn't it? Didn't the vision on PS3? No, no. Was it not? It's no, just, it's it was just that close to launch of this, I guess. Yeah. But there's there's a couple games like um uh GTA five and um Oh, you know what? I think that Elder Scrolls Online was actually a cross gen game. I think it was too. So I, I think I think those count because it's a time sync on this. Was it? Like honestly, I think that those games have a say in game of the generation for a very specific thing we'll talk about next episode. Where they become Skyrim, Grand Theft Auto. Um, anything that came from okay, it, it wasn't. It Elder Scrolls Online was not on last gen or See, PS3. When you said that, I, I thought about it. I was like, was it? Because I I don't remember it being. But um, you're right. The games that came out close to that are a little hard to separate in your is. mind. Um, speaking of No Man's Sky, Matt Green says No Man's Sky with hundreds of hours through multiple playthroughs. That, yeah. This might be a popular. One that I expected a lot of people to to mention, and it did get mentioned a lot, was The Witcher 3. So over on Twitter, Liam says, uh, probably The Witcher 3 due to vanilla slash game of the year, U.S. game of the year, and European platinums, because he got all of those. Those took a while to get, and he loved every second of it. And 
you know, over on Facebook, we had a lot of people mention stuff too. And one of the ones over there was also, Oh no, I'm wrong. It was uh, discord discord. Yeah. Rude cold. He said, I tend not to go back to games when I finish them, unless they have story DLC, which is <laughs> not what I do. The Witcher three is the game. I've largely spent the most time in, especially when going back to play easily the best DLC content on offer. And I'm a little surprised that Ryan didn't mention that. Cause Ryan has told me multiple times I need to play the DLC from The Witcher. And I know I do. I just don't see it happening. I, there, there will be one time in which I'll have a lot of free time. And once I've watched The Witcher Netflix series to, to get more about the world, to care about it more, I'm going to jump into The Witcher 3. And yeah, I think my better. way to attack it is to play The Witcher 3 when the next-gen upgrades go and then play all the DLC while I'm currently playing it. That way I never leave the game because that's the only way I can play DLC is if I play it while I'm playing and my brain's like, this is part of the game. Yeah. Just keep going. I think, honestly, that's that's Dark Souls 3 and Demon, or not Demon Souls, but Bloodborne has taught me that. Um, and speaking of Bloodborne, our good buddy, old friend of the channel, MD says, Bloodborne and Final Fantasy VII Remake. Interesting, a game that came out this year made his list. Yep, yeah, that's a big one. Got some more over on Facebook. We're going to get two more, I think, is a good way to go. Um, we have Destiny. I'm not, this isn't any one answer, but a lot of people mentioned Destiny. True. Clearly, it was going to be on there, so I'm not surprised. Rainbow Six Siege is also another one that was brought up by a lot of people. But two that are a little more interesting, one of our uh, good buds and actual, someone who we know personally in, in our day-to-day -day lives, Andrew Miller says, does Final Fantasy X count? And uh, it got a remaster for PS4, so I'm going to say it counts. Yeah, I'll yeah. say it counts. And he plays that game constantly. Oh, good Lord. You going to see how much time you've put on Destiny 2? This is actually wrong. I played 66 hours, according to Steam, yesterday. Oh, okay. Of your PC play? Yeah. But Destiny 2 on, uh, on PS4 alone is 835 hours. And 53 minutes. I'm almost at 836 hours. Um, Good Lord. 245 on, on PlayStation 4. We have another one here. Um, Kiki, one of our long-term patrons. I mean, he's been a patron forever. Thank you, Kiki. We love you, buddy. He says, Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 plus 2.5 remix. May your heart be your guiding key. And uh, I got to say, I have played the HD remixes uh, off and on through PS3 and PS4. And they're great games. I like when people kind of, there's something that's cool about people coming back to, I guess I should say right now, right? Is that the games that are easy to go back to are games as a service type games like No Man's Sky and Red Dead Online and Grand Theft Auto Online and Destiny. But I think there's something that's really to be said about single player games that can bring you back like Bloodborne. Well, Bloodborne's multiplayer, but Bloodborne and Final Fantasy VII Remake and Kingdom Hearts. Those are great answers for that reason. And another one of those is be our last one. Mr. Hussein Saeed says, well, to me, most hours was an Assassin's Creed Odyssey. That game made me play it for <laughs> 166 hours. Did it hold you down? And I lived each and every minute of it. But the game I always keep on coming back to is Spider-Man PS4. I just love swinging around New York City. You know, I once upon a time said that I liked Dark Souls 3, uh, the ability to go back and play Dark Souls 3 because of the build variety. And while that's still mainly true, I, I said that Bloodborne just didn't have that, and I was completely wrong. Because <laughs> I've been, I've, I replayed Bloodborne a couple of times just this year, and I've done a couple of different build playthroughs. There's always one I always go back to, because the Blood Chicago. I think what makes be. Bloodborne weird is that all the builds are based around single sets of armor instead of having multiple sets of armor within them. 
Armor? For the most part. Now, I shouldn't say armor, but garb, clothing. No, you don't, like, that's you, all fashion at this point. You don't even have to worry about all that. That's, and that's what I mean. Is like even because they're all equal just in different ways, you spend less time doing, I think, the demons through Dark Souls games where it's about figuring out what build within your class you're going to use. And that's really not the way Bloodborne is approaching it. Now, like when you'll transcend the, the moon one day and you'll see that, that honestly, like, all that stuff gets boiled down. Like even starting classes is really just an easier or quicker way to get stuff done. Because what I wish they would have added in Bloodborne, if it ever gets remade or remastered, I hope they do. And I doubt if it's remastered, it will. But they need a respec, uh, a way to respec yourself. Like in Dark Souls Three, you could join a covenant that you could actually reset your stats. Okay, um, I didn't. I actually didn't know that. And then reallocate your points. That so wasn't that, in Dark Souls One or Two, though, was it? Um, I don't think it was in Dark Souls One or Two. I might be wrong on Two. Because two is the one I'm most unfamiliar with, but Dark Souls one, I'm pretty sure there wasn't a way to respec. Um, but what I will say is that at that point, nothing like like starting out a class like like in Demon Souls when you start as royalty, you you kind of get like a good spell and you kind of have enough intelligence to use it or magic or whatever. You have your stat to use it, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you can still go in the world and get it and level up that way. Um, I've never really found classes to be a hindrance as much as this is going to be the fast track to get stuff done. Yeah. If you know what build you want, you can go ahead and lean in and get a couple extra points in this way and gear that starts you in that direction. Yeah. Like uh, the blood Chicago and bloodborne. I keep saying blood Chicago. It's just called the Chicago. Um, but that uses blood tinge and you got to get 50 blood tinge and 25 um, skill. You could you can start the game with the class that already has high skill or high blood tinge, but I always start with the one that has the most health because I'm not upgrading my saw cleaver that much because I'm getting it early through a chalice dungeon. So you know it kind of you kind of just you you just figure out ways around certain little loopholes. Yeah, I mean I need to get back to Bloodborne, but I've been doing that hold off to wait and see if a remaster comes. Yeah, because at this point it feels like a remaster would likely include the old. Um, the old blood DLC at this point, the old hunters, the old hunters. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so at that point I could play that because the, I never played that, but I've watched someone else play it. And the, the map additions of where you get to go in it look awesome. Yeah. That entire, yeah. that might be my single handedly favorite DLC of all time. That and shivering Isles. I don't know why, but bloodborne out of all of them is the one I've had the most fun playing co-op in. I never played co-op in these games. Like I, I would, I wouldn't mind it. Like if you bought Bloodborne and you're like, I want to play it. I'm like, I'll co-op with you. Like yeah. if, if our schedules collide up and, and do the game entirely that way, sure. Like I played most of Bloodborne by myself, but yeah. one of the, like I mentioned, Bloodborne's probably the game in the series I've gone back to the most because of the fact of talking with friends and then them being like, oh, I'm having problems with this. I'm like, don't worry, I'll hop on. And I'm, and then it's just here I am playing for a few hours, going through a couple bosses with them and just helping them. I don't know why that struck me as a more fun thing to do in Bloodborne and why I was immediately so quick to be like, I'm going to hop back into Bloodborne. Whereas Dark Souls 3, as soon as I was done with Dark Souls 3, I was done with it. Maybe it's that my friends weren't playing it in the same way and I just didn't have the drive. I don't know. But I ended up just doing random stuff. Like I did a little bit of PvP in Dark Souls after um, you did something and I thought it was interesting to watch. So I went outside of the hill, outside of Pontiff Sullivan's church. The big, you know, oh, the fight club, yeah, the, the yeah. fight club <laughs> arena, basically. So I've done that a little bit, and that was fun. So just, I'm, a, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm hoping to get into more of that stuff with like Demon Souls playing that. I think I may get into a little bit more of the invading and stuff and figuring that stuff out. 
may go back to Dark Souls 3 and play it again because it is a fantastic game. Or I may just see what we're going to get with the ability from either a Bloodborne Remastered or just seeing what the next FromSoft game actually is with um, Elden Ring Elden Ring, and how it actually plays. Yeah, so. I'm still waiting on that. <laughs> At this point, I think it's a launch. I think it's a, it's a PS5 game. Oh, I'm, I would imagine at yeah. this point as well. Oh, I don't know. Cross-gen? I Cross-gen love, Souls game. Yeah, that, I don't know. Yucky. I don't know. <laughs> all right, well, we're going to go ahead and hop into the news. Thank you all for your feedback and your answers. It's a fun question. Thank uh, you, thank you. First thing is, is that the Game Awards are still on this year. Uh, many wondered if that was going to be the case or if it was going to be a special way. Right now, I don't think that there's much information on exactly how it's going to work out, but... It's going to be on December 10th, and with that, all the categories and nominees have been posted, so if you want to go check it out and vote, go get it done. We're going to have our own here, as we always do, and uh, you know, if people win the Game Awards ones, clearly it means a lot more than ours, but we like to give our own awards. No, Jeff Keighley, we're coming for you. Coming for you. All right. Uh, Fuck them cheeks. <laughs> That actually hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah, because your hand. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Hitman developer IO Interactive have announced that they are developing and self-publishing a new original James Bond game currently titled Project 007. The title will le- utilize the Glacier engine that the Hitman uh, games run on and is being developed across the developer's two studios. The sad part of that is, is it kind of seems like this announcement is acting as more of a recruitment thing because they're saying like, hey, we're taking in people for this game. And I feel like this is more along the lines of like Elden Ring where we heard about it probably too early. early. Yeah. And they were using that more to get people to come and go in their studios. But I got to say, the Hitman games are not something I've ended up diving into this gen. I've heard great things. So good for IO. I'm glad they were able to break out on their own and become an independent. But the biggest thing that struck me about this deal was that clearly 007 is a sensible fit for them as a developer and what they do. I can't believe they're self-publishing this. Like, how did they pull that deal off? Yeah. I'm really curious. And also, shout out to them for getting that deal. It'll, if it works the way that they probably want it to, it'll pay very large dividends to them and probably give them freedom to do a lot. Yeah, you're not wrong. So we'll certainly see how that goes on. Uh, next thing in the news, though, to no one's surprise, Cyberpunk 2077 comes on two disc for PS4 and presumably Xbox One with a minimum file size of 70 gigabytes. Anyone fearing another delay should probably put those concerns to rest as CD Projekt uh, Red have seemingly begun sending out promotional materials for the game as a, revealed by an employee with pictures on Reddit. With that said, physical copies are out in the wild, which also makes me think that no, we're not going to have issues with it being delayed. But that also means that two things. The physical versions probably don't have the day zero patch yet. So if you see stuff on the game that looks like it's bad, it may not be the best version of the game. Secondarily, if you are very anti-spoilers about this game, be on the watch out. Yeah. Because it's going to happen. So, it, you know, Cyberpunk has been a weird game where I think that as much as we can say that delay until you make the great game that you want, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's other games that are just having me excited right now to an extent where my hype for Cyberpunk isn't what it once was. It's but, just taking so long. It's like Kingdom Hearts 3 and Final Fantasy 7 is that like I'm probably going to love it when, it when I play it, but at this point I'm just not excited for it anymore. Well, the irony is, is that we've known about Cyberpunk 2077 almost as long as we knew about Kingdom Hearts 3. Well, <laughs> we know about its existence. We didn't know what it was. 
True, but that was also true of Kingdom Hearts 3 at that point and Final Fantasy 7 Remake. But you can, okay. But what all I'm saying is that can, all three of those games have gone way too long before coming out. True, but you can have an idea of what a Kingdom Hearts 3 will be or Final Fantasy 7 Remake would be. You don't have an idea of what, like, of Cyberpunk. A new IP. Yeah. It's I mean, kind of hard to gauge yeah. excitement on something. You're not entirely sure what it is. It could be like Shadowrun and be a tabletop or something. Yeah. I said tabletop, but a strategy game. Yeah. Boy, Shadowrun. Remember when they made Shadowrun a uh, first person shooter? When? Back on, uh, maybe I'm getting the names wrong, uh, mixed up, but it was a 360 game. Really fun, actually. You are kidding me. You don't remember this game? Oh, I do. Maybe it was a third person. No, it was first person. Yeah, I do remember that. I never played it, but I remember seeing people. I, I remember it. It was really fun. Huh. R- really fun game. Interesting. Yeah. All, all the classes had different abilities and stuff. It was super good. Yeah. Isn't the original like cyberpunk thing based off of a board tabletop game? Tabletop well? game? I think so. Or I tabletop might be wrong, game, I should say. I think I've heard that somewhere. Yeah. I know that the creator for it, the original source material, is working with them on this game. So that's cool. Um, either way, be careful. Be on the lookout. I know that there's a lot of listeners who are trying to exist in as little information about cyberpunk as possible. So be careful. Uh, next thing up, Black Friday starts early this year with the PS Store having deals going from now through November 30th. Tons of big games are on sale. Of course, The Last of Us, Ghost of Tsushima, big games from this year. Uh, all of the PlayStation Classics or whatever they're called, the PlayStation <laughs> Collection, you know, the red-cased ones. Uh, are out so you can get things like Horizon and God of War and a bunch of other games for $10, which is pretty cool. And of course, there are PS Plus and PS Now savings to be had where each service is 25% off of a year sub, which is pretty good. So if you want to stock up now and get you the next year in the bank for a little cheaper, good time to do it. Absolutely. This next one's cool because I've seen a number of games do this. So Shadow Complex Remastered, which is one of the few titles that was originally on the list of backwards compatible games from, excuse me, from PS4 that would not play on PS5, has since had the team go back and patch the game to make it where it's runnable on uh, PS5. So that's cool because that preserves the game's legacy for another generation. And while I don't think the list was very big and a lot of the games for a lot of people were unknown games. Mm-hmm. I think that as many games that can come over being patched is a good thing. And people who love shadow complex remastered now get to continue playing it, maybe even in a slightly better form. I've never heard of this game before. It is a, um, Metroidvania game and it was a, I think it was a downloadable title on the 360 it that was. eventually got remastered. Um, it's just a 3d side if i'm remembering the actual gameplay is all side scroll yeah it looks like it well it looks like some so weird 2.5d as they call that well it looks like in this one you're driving a mech as well in some segments so it's so are you telling me near stole from this <laughs> well i doubt it considering the original near came out in 2010 <laughs> unless you're talking about mechs in particular no but yeah the um I remember seeing it. I've never played it. Uh, clearly, there's a renaissance right now going on of Metroid Manias, or there has been for the last few years. So maybe it being on PS5 will, and now that this news has popped up, maybe it'll get people to play it. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe it'll have a little second wind. Who knows? But who knows? For now, it's cool to see that the list is shrinking by the day. I think we're down to five titles that have not been updated yet. I think so. Four or five. Yeah, one thing I forgot to put in the news, but I'm going to go ahead and say it while it's on my mind, is that uh, PlayStation have gone on to confirm that P- 
PSVR games are getting updated to be able to benefit from the PS5 in the same way that PS4 titles have been, where they've been patched to run at 60 frames per second at their highest possible resolution. Yeah. And what was cool is that uh, the one of the big blockbuster games for the VR, which is uh, London Studios Blood and Truth, has been patched to run at up to 4K. It's an adaptive resolution so that it can scale down if it needs to to make sure it hits its frame rate target. But it can it can render at up to 4K even though the 1080p display of the VR is not enough to do that. It just super samples down to give you a cleaner final image. Yeah. But it does that, and then the original game ran at 60 frames per second, but then used the PSVR as a digital reconstruction to get you up to 120, which was not perfect, but it at least worked. And... So not only does the game run at 4K now, it runs at a native 90 hertz, so 90 frames per second, hmm. which instead of so you get 30 more natural frames per second instead of what you got originally would have been 30 more than this, but reconstructed. So you know frame interpolation or whatever it does to utilize that. So it's cool to see that, and it makes me think that there's more hope that worries around Hitman 3's H, uh, I mean VR segment and No Man's Sky VR mode won't be playable in the PS5 versions. I'm hoping that the fact that this even happened means that Sony is looking into letting PS5 games natively run the PSVR. Don't know yet, yeah. but here's the hoping. Next thing on the list, though, is both Spider-Man PS4 and Spider-Man Remastered for PS5 have been updated to now support save transfer from the PS4 version and save import to the PS5 version. Now, on this, you have to have the original game. So if you had it on disc and you don't have it anymore, you can't go into the game and up, you know, upload your save. Be mindful of that. Even if you got rid of your PS4 but the save is on the cloud, then you can go download a digital version if you still had it. Put it in there, send your save up so that you can play the remastered version with your original save if that's what you're into. It may not be the best case scenario because you have to have the original game and all these different things, but at least they listen to some degree. The update also aims to solve issues with Spider-Man and rest mode on PS5, which both Spider-Man Remastered and Spider-Man Miles Morales have had issues crashing the game on PS5 and to some degree actually even breaking consoles. Which is nuts. Yeah. And it's only been with those games, interestingly enough. So, not a great show for cross-gen, <laughs> you know. True. Did you just put your foot in frame? I did. That's for all the feet people out there. Yeah. Hey, go to Saul's OnlyFans. Let's see. We are, for those that are that are scrambling over, it's going to be at 40, 41 minutes and like 53 seconds. <laughs> time stamped. Good, good math deduction D- they're there. They're dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Good lord. If you like like seeing feet with socks on them, then do we have the show for you? Uh, Next thing on the list, Neo and Neo 2 are coming to PS5 in remastered form via the Neo collection. The games will fully utilize the system's SSD and run at higher resolutions and frame rates. Owners of Neo 2, which right now, at least last I check, is on sale for $10, will be upgraded to the next-gen version free of charge, but Neo remastered will need to be purchased separately. I'm assuming since it's an older game that needed more work. Yeah, and it was on PS Plus like twice, I think, wasn't it? Neo Original? Yeah. yeah. I, th- I don't think twice, but it was on PS Plus, and then maybe it was on PS Now. Yeah, I, I definitely have it. I don't, but I can't remember if I, bought, if I bought it or not. I still need to beat that game. Me too. I'm about three quarters of the way through, if I had to guess. I think I'm a little bit farther. Yeah. I still need to beat Sekiro, and I'm on the last boss. 
I still need to beat Sekiro, but that's another game I might be playing on PS5 since it runs at a full 60 frames per second on PS5. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm not. Yeah, I'm going to wait. Come on, uh, Bloodborne. You're next. Next thing up, a rumor surrounding a collection of both Red Dead Redemption, seemingly remastered the first title, and Red Dead 2, also with enhancements for next gen, coming to PS5 and Series X was spread with a screenshot of an Amazon listing for the title with the KSR and all as its proof. The listing was cited as taken down, but many users noted that it seemed to be an edited HTML with a Photoshopped image for the cover art. So this is something that you need to always be mindful of. It's really easy, and you may have seen people posting jokes before where they go to their PayPal and edit it to where it looks like their PayPal says they have $4 million. They're not Photoshopping that part. You can go into anything, inspect the element, and then actually find where it's at and retype what you want, and it'll say anything you want. It's the way that basic coding works. So if you have even a little bit of knowledge of how a website is built, it's pretty easy to go in and change these things, including what pointer it's click it's using for images so that you can slide in a Photoshopped image. Um, so it, this has been basically confirmed as fake. That doesn't mean that a remaster collection won't happen, but take it with a probably the largest grain of salt of anything here. But while we're on the rumor train, Capcom also seemed to have fallen prey to a leak of its project schedule for the next four years. The leak, if true, reveals plans for Resident Evil Outrage for the fourth quarter of 2021 next year, Dragon's Dogma 2 for the second quarter of 2022, Street Fighter 6 for the third quarter of 2022, Mega Man Match for uh, quarter three of 2022 resident evil four remake for Q4 2022, which actually lines up with the reports about resident evil four remake being a 2022 game, uh, monster hunter six, uh, second quarter of 2023 Onimusha, New York fourth quarter of 2022. I accidentally skipped that one, which is really interesting that Onimusha would be coming back. Yeah. Biohazard apocalypse. So another resident evil game is uh, seemingly for qu uh, quarter three of 2023 super street fighter six following their normal super, you know, normal super and ultra, uh, for Q four of 2023 final fight remake for the second quarter of 24, and Power Stone remake for the third quarter of 24. Resident Evil Hank for the fourth quarter of 24. That takes place in Arlen, Texas. It's about <laughs> Hank Hill. How does it feel to read the drop? <laughs> that was so weird. Also, I would absolutely love a Resident Evil game where you get Hank Hill to come through. It's like, these damn zombies are being a menace. <laughs> I would love that. And then you could have Bobby be a playable character and he swings around a purse. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Kicks S the zombies. Somebody go mod Resident Evil 4 right now for that. Oh, it's absolutely possible. If you have any skill in developing, I would love to see that. I might even pay for that if, if Capcom would allow me. I wonder if this is a thing. Bobby Hill. That's my purse. But this is a big list. And the only thing I'll say about this list is that it kind of reads as a big time Capcom fan kind of giving out their just dreams. But it also, some of it seems plausible. I think that monster hunter suddenly making it really big shows them that there's the potential for all of their IP to come back with a kind of switch up in style and a more of refinement to come back and do something big while also being kind of an honor to their previous games. Capcom's been in a great place. They got a ton going on. So I think Dragon Dogma, Dragon's Dogma 2 seems like a, a possibility. And I know there's a lot of people that'd be excited for it, Ryan being one of them. Resident Evil 4 Remake is a certainty at this point, always was. Onimusha coming back with a new game, pretty crazy. Monster Hunter 6, 
clearly would make sense. And then all the other games take it with a grain of salt, but also it's hard to know if the leaks are accurate because this comes after a ransomware attack seemingly revealing information about deals the company has made, such as Sony paying $5 million for Resident Evil 7 VR, time to DLC and demo exclusivity. Apparently, Google Stadia paid $10 million for Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil 8 to come onto their service. So a lot of this seems accurate. And whether this is someone who's just looping on to the ransomware attack and trying to inject fake information yeah. for some clicks, or if this is real information that could have changed by now because it looks like some of this was pre-COVID plans. There's no way to know. It's always hard to tell with stuff like this too. And if for anybody who's thinking, why would Capcom know what they're putting out in 2024? I hope that no one's thinking that clearly these companies have big plans. Money has to be moved around and plans have to be made that this would be their closest bet to structuring their company out and knowing what's going on. So Got two more things before we end the episode up. So in a recent interview with a Russian Russian media outlet, Jim Ryan spoke about the challenges of launching a console amidst a a pandemic and more. One key thing mentioned in the interview was when Ryan was asked about Sony's response to Xbox's Game Pass, which is clearly a big question that gets asked constantly. Since Games Pass inception, everyone's like, well, what is Sony going to do to answer it? Soon as Xbox bought ZeniMax out, what is Sony going to do to answer it? So reasonable questions to an extent, but they're always going to be asked. His answer though, was the interesting part where he says, quote, there was actually news to come, but just not today. End quote before going on to talk about PlayStation now, which currently, as we all know, acts as the company's closest alignment to what game pass is. Um, Now, a lot of people I've seen from our listener base and just online in general have thought that maybe the PS Plus collection will be expanded in such a way that it acts as some kind of a response to Game Pass. And I think clearly if you look at the PS Plus collection now, you see that it's got a bunch of first-party titles in it. So to an extent, it having all that in does mean that it's a closer thing to PS Now or to Xbox Game Pass than PS Now because it's got more of their big games immediately available day one for PS5. But... In another interview with GQ, Jim Ryan mentions that the firm is currently in wait-and-see mode with the PS Plus collection and whether they will expand it. So it would seem that the news he speaks of is probably not related to the PS Plus collection, which many have thought, like I said, could be some form of an answer. So I don't know. I'm thinking this through. Like, Could this essentially be a big move to where PS now gets big, like changed a lot to bring it a little closer. And then Sony announces something along the line of maybe a year after release PlayStation titles will hit it. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. Or can it be a whole new thing? And if it's a whole new thing, what do they aim for to be considered comparable to game pass and be an answer to game pass when really they already have their own version of it in PS now, so it just seems like you'd want to bolster PS Now somehow. Every single first-party PlayStation 4 game coming to PS Now download list for free. Or as, as a part of the membership. So, I mean, like, if it's first-party and it's an exclusive, which obviously is the same thing, but if it's, if it's a Sony first-party game and it was on PS4, you will get it, for, you will get it as part of uh, your, your PS Now listing that you could download and play. Not stream, download. See, but doesn't that end up having an effect on their plans to have cross-platform support for the next few years? Because that means that Horizon Forbidden West would be free on PS4 day one, but not on PS5. 
Why would it be free on PS4? Sorry, I should say it'd be free if you wanted to play the PS4 version on PS5. That's what I meant. Well, no, not it's not even that. It's it, obviously it, it accounts for not all games, like unreleased games, still come out normally. But it, they take a certain mark, and they're like, if this game came out before December twenty fifth, two thousand nineteen, and it was a first party game, it's free. Yeah, maybe, but I feel like they're already close to that. So with a lot of the games that they have, even in the PS Plus collection right now, so. I think the only outlier titles would be like The Order. Yeah. I think Horizon Zero Dawn is not on that list. Spider-Man. Spider-Man I don't think is on that list. Ghost. Ghost of Tsushima and The Last of Us would clearly not be there because they're this year if you use that date. But that means the rest of those games are currently in there. God of War. Yeah, God of War is on the list. Days Gone is on the list. Uh, The Last Guardian. There's honestly... the Colossus remake? No. They could add some. They could. They could could add some. I'm not saying no. It's just, it's a it's a fun but challenging thing to figure out how they combat Games Pass without just essentially doing Game Pass. And I guess that to me, I think a long time if you would have asked me, is does Sony feel a need to answer to Game Pass? And I would have said no. But this wording makes it think that they clearly think that there's something that they can do. But what is it that's not just doing your own form of Game Pass? Right. And it's it's going to be fun to see because obviously it's something we probably were not going to see for another six months to a year. Yeah. Not now. It's very vague. But we'll definitely see whenever it comes around. The last thing is also regarding Jim Ryan, who recently commented on development cost of blockbuster games and how it's risky to release new IPs on a console. Yet, we know from the PlayStation 4 generation that it's a generation of completely releasing a mix of established IP and completely new IP and then taking even more risk with established IP like God of War and doing a soft reboot, which kind of makes it half new IP, half old IP. Yeah. Um, And he goes on to talk about it. So there's an article that Twisted Voxel has that I'm just, I figured it'd be best to just pull from them. You can go check it out over on their site. And it was kind of breaking off of talking about Ghost of Tsushima, which is one of the last games for the PS4 life cycle before PS5 hit. It's also a new IP, and it's gone on to become the fastest and best-selling new IP on the console uh, in the period of time that it has, even outperforming things like Horizon Zero Dawn and whatnot. So when you have that, he was talking, and this was in that GQ article. He says it's, quote, very risky maneuver citing the larger development cost that's associated with blockbuster games. And then he goes on to say that's certainly the strategy with which we launch when it comes to games that we make ourselves from worldwide studios. I humbly submit that we've never been in better shape than we are now. The studios over the course of the PS4 generation have really come on. It's a real point of difference for us, and we intend to continue to grow that capability. We've invested a lot organically over the course of the PS4 generation, more than people realize. We've added Insomniac Games, Spider-Man Morales developer, through acquisition. We're making great games now, and we certainly plan to continue making great games. The thing with those blockbuster games is that they need a box office release. They cost more than $100 million to make these days, and in order to be able to do that and bring new IP to the market, which is a very risky thing, and we did four times in the PS4 generation, you've got to have a box office release. I don't like this in a way. I mean, I do. Like, I don't like that analogy because it's a very one-sided analogy he's saying because obviously there's a second part to this 
And if you're going to compare it to a box office release, I'll do the same. Not every movie company, not every director can afford a Marvel-esque movie. Yeah. That's why you need strong, independent studios. A24 making Hereditary is like Team Cherry making Hollow Knight. It's going to cost... A, it's a pretty chunk of change to do but you're still making something relatively cheaper than the last of us 2 uncharted 4 so i think that that's a i don't like the way he's i just don't like this conversation really because it's very one-sided and i get that they that they the, the things that are always talked about are games like the last of us and stuff like that but you still have games in in this day and age like hollow knight is my perfect shining example of a game that saw it so much so much praise and will forever and when silk song comes out it'll, it'll, it'll surge again yeah and that game is not on the same level in terms of cost to production than the last of us 2 yeah you need to acquire these strong 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 indie studios because you've already set an expectation that all your first party games are nothing but these big triple a titles you don't and I think that was fault number one in a way because they failed to do what we've asked this gen is where the indie titles at the first the gen they were all heads on board they were supporting it they were they were very vocal about it we haven't heard that in what four years that they've talked about indie titles in that same regard well, because now you have games like Bugsnacks that game probably didn't cost as much to make as Demon Souls but it's there it's a cute game yeah it, it, it works really really well so I get that you're saying that these blockbuster games cost $100 million to make, but do they not sell over $100 million? So I think that I kind of get where you're coming from, but I think you're inferring a lot about what he's talking about. And partially because he's only talking about the biggest games. I guess one thing I'll say about Sony is that they've clearly put a lot of effort in a new IP that have not hit these marks and they still supported them to a lot. Like The Last Guardian is a new IP. It's from a series where it's a new IP, but with the, I wouldn't say baggage, but with the acclaim that comes from Shadow and Ico. But it's still a very niche series. But it is a very niche series, exactly. And it's not even technically a series, but it's at least made by the same developer. Right. So then you also have examples like The Order 1886, which was, a, a, again, an expensive game in a lot of ways, but also a way smaller studio than normal. Right. So it ended up being cheaper to make than comparison to a lot of things. But I think more recently there's better examples like what they did. And that's why I want to go look up and make sure I don't forget any other ones. But, you know, we have a lot of games they've put out and get, gave tries and chances and just went through. Some of them did well and some of them didn't. So there's Kill Strain, which came and went. That mm -hmm. was that Sony San Diego game. Uh, sadly, it didn't come around. The Tomorrow Children was made by the people who make, if I'm not mistaken, the Pixel, um, the what are those called? Pixel Opus? No, Pixel Opus, or which is another game I'm going to get to. Um, the how am I forgetting the name? That's going to kill me. I already know it. <laughs> I was already wanting to bring it up. The one with the paintbrush. Yeah, I can't think of what it's called either. Concrete um, Genie. Yeah, Concrete Genie is another great example of that. And Pixel Opus's first game, which was Entwined. Entwined. I didn't know they made that game. Yeah, there was that. So. Across the board, all I'm saying is that Sony have put out plenty of games. Astrobot Rescue Mission, Astrobot Rescue, or Astrobot's Playroom that we have right now. They've done a lot on VR that's smaller. So they are not foreign to doing smaller games that I think do get a lot of praise and stuff. You never know when you're putting a game out until it's out whether it's going to be, you know, Hollow Knight's level of success or not. You can 
hope so, and then it just doesn't happen. They put out that Erica game earlier this year, which was like a smaller budget title where they're letting creatives do their work. And I think Sony, regardless of how much they actually talk about it, they do a good job of actually putting their money behind interesting titles and just giving them a chance to win. But yeah, this interview is clearly talking about all the new IP that they've done. And he says four times this gen, well, they've done new IP way more than four times this gen. It's just only been four times this gen. Have they been very risky in terms of the monetary standpoint behind them? So I understand his need of saying like for these most expensive games, sadly, just like in movie theaters, Movie theaters have gotten to the point where it's so expensive to put your movie in theaters Mm -hmm. that a lot of movies that make it to theaters are only the blockbuster Marvel releases or someone who's trying to compete against Marvel. Action movies, racing movies, big action movies, and dramas, horrors. More and more movies are taking the route of going and being like, well, we're going to be an artful piece where we make what we want to make and we put it directly on Netflix. Or, you know, we we do a deal with Netflix or we do a deal with Amazon. Yeah. Or what is that? um, What's the horror one called? Oh, Shutter? Shutter. Now, is it Shutter? Shutter. Okay. Yeah. And, and there was one that came out that was made throughout COVID yeah. in relation to it. Yeah. So those things happen. And I think Sony's been good about that. But like you said, I think what what we've complained about this generation was Sony's lack of being vocal about the deals they make with indie games. It's like they made deals with indie games early on and they pushed them really hard. And now we've seen that coming back with Bugsnax, but is this just a repeat of last gen where we see them pushing it real hard early days, but then they make deals later, but don't really push much of the marketing for well, it. And see, Bugsnax is a good example of what I mean is that he's touting this is very risky. Of course it's very risky. You're investing all this money, payroll, time, energy, materials, uh, into this game that could flop. Like, Ghost could have flopped. Like, I'm not saying it deserves to flop or anything like that. I like that game. But it could have flopped. They could have made something in that game that made the game break or something, and it took them months to patch it. And yeah. then they couldn't have fixed it. That's a risk. But at the same time, this the, the whole connotation of it being very risky, there is an answer to the other part of it. Of, like, it is very risky to make these games. But then we could also make these indie titles that are high, high quality with much less risk. Or back them, because that's really what Sony does. They have examples of where they've bought the teams and, or they, started them from the ground up, like Pixel Opus. Yeah. That's a first-party studio, right. and that's great. And I think that there's a high chance that Housemark ends up being acquired by Sony. I think they Sony, need more of these. And I think they need they a make lot those. of them. But I think what they typically do is things that we've seen this gen, like with Fall Guys, right? Fall Guys and Bucksnacks, they don't own those companies. They're no. just being like, hey... We're going to back the game. We're going to do a bunch of promotional stuff for you. And we're going to, and now who knows exactly what the deal is behind the scenes. I'm sure there is one, but it's, we're going to back the game. We want it to be on PS plus day one, just like they did with rocket league. I think rocket league is a really great story of Sony's partnering, doing something big to the gaming industry, even if it wasn't necessarily something owned by Sony. I mean, rocket league was a, I think a lot of the reason rocket league was probably always going to be a phenomena, but Sony it was just that extra kick. Sony seeing that and knowing that and putting it on PS Plus to give it that chance and then it paying off. Yeah. I think is a big deal and I think it did a lot for PS Plus and for Sony and clearly for the game. It's a very mutual beneficial relationship. Yeah, I agree. And I think we saw that again with Fall Guys, but to your point, there is that mix of Sony has got to start getting better about talking more about these small deals, which again, we're seeing right now. But is it is it just because it's the beginning of the new generation and they're trying to bring people in and once those numbers start kicking and doing really well, do they stop again? What is it? We, we haven't. It's it's weird because like 
Jim Ryan was not the president while all those decisions were being right. changed off on the PS4. He didn't start them back up on PS4, but maybe he was always saving, you know, like, we're going to start with the PS5 and we're going to move all generation doing it this way. Well, it's, Hard to tell. My thing is, is that I think that it is by fault of their own for, for putting themselves in this very risky scape that they're in because they have been known now as the ones that make the best exclusive AAA titles. They can they can easily start shifting that starting this gen by going more into indie games on the scale of Hollow Knight, um, because now when you hear Sony, you think big blockbuster movie game. That's what you think. Uncharted, The Last of Us. These are big. These are things that you would see on the big screen, but they're a game. Spider Man, perfect example. Yeah. Um, but I think that they that if they're that worried about it, they've already undertaken this weird consequence with that because now. How often is it we're going to get a first-party AAA exclusive from Sony? Once every year and a half, on average? We don't know, yeah. That's the thing. Is well, it takes these games this long to develop, it, it, it becomes <laughs> staggered. So they need a secondary support line. They need strong indies. They have to get these strong indies that they can sprinkle throughout the years on top of multi-platform games. Because, I agree. Because, I mean, think about it. You, What is um, Thunder Lotus? perfect example in my opinion yeah they have some kind of a deal where their next game is going to be with microsoft yeah, yeah. so acquire them and start putting out thunder, like having thunder lotus make games and then take magnum opus or magnum opus uh pixel opus and have them do the start doing the same thing have them start working on a game it may take them you know nine months to make it but it's not a year and a half to two years to 16 years with final fantasy 13 <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what I would say, or yeah, thir- is it 13? Thir- 13 yeah, verses? I'm assuming that's what you meant. Yeah. So with, I think what I'd say to that, my one counterpoint is I don't think that, uh, oh man, I, I know. Okay. I'm going to try to see if I can make my way back to the best way to say that one. But one of the things I don't think Sony needs to necessarily acquire these studios so much as that they just need to invest in these studios and be like, we want you to make a game for PlayStation we like what you've done in the past. And again, we're seeing PlayStation do that already, but I think the big change needs to be that you mentioned Nintendo uh, doing... Oh, sorry, you mentioned Hollow Knight. Okay. Nintendo <laughs> backed Hollow Knight in the way that you wished PlayStation would have. Yeah. We talked about that. Now, yeah. one of the things that works with Nintendo is that when you think of Nintendo, you think of Nintendo's first party as well. Right. But you also, because they continue to do these... Uh, what are they? Nindies? Yeah. Is that, is that what they're called? Yeah. Um, and they have big pushes for those. And it's just like how at the beginning of the PS4 generation, when you thought PlayStation, you did think Infamous Second Son and mm-hmm. Killzone and some of these big games. But you also thought about all the the little indie games that they were pushing early on, like Super Mother Load and Contrast and a bunch of stuff. A community's take answer on here was... Um Resogun. Yeah, Resogun. See, House Mark. One Neo. And, and see, those are all examples, and some of those have continued to go on, like House Mark or House Mark you however you say their name. Uh, I think it's House Mark. I thought. But House Mark has continued making games mostly for PlayStation this generation. Right. Sony's never acquired them because, at least right now, it's like Sony's move has always been slow partnership, keep going, and then eventual acquisition, which is why I think from what we've seen from House Mark and House Mark's new game that's coming to PlayStation 5. I think that you have the opportunity for them to end up being acquired in a way that would feel very natural, but you don't have to necessarily acquire to get those types of games. I True. guess that's really ultimately what it comes down and, to. And my other thing too is that market those games. It's the small indie games, just like you do the big AAA games. Yeah, that's it. it. Find a way to okay. I can't say just like right because money and budget for those things are very different. But what True. you can do is do what Nintendo does and do a PlayStation State of Play that's specifically around indies once every 
three months. Yeah. Once every, however often. And, and then make sure that you occasionally, you know, put it on like the home screen of the PlayStation store. I was going to say that, have it on the front page of the PlayStation store and support yeah. it that way too, because I'll tell you right now, Hollow Knight, Cuphead, these games are some of the best indie games ever, ever created. I'm going to go on that limb there and say that because I think they are. Ori as well. Ori as well. And we don't see stuff like that coming from PlayStation's first parties. And you you see them getting, and I can't say close, that's what I want to say, but you have things like um, uh, Concrete Genie that very well may be up in that same tier. Oh, it's, never it's amazing. It. I've just never played it. Yeah, um, it is amazing. But that's the thing. I've never seen that on the front page of the store. Yeah. I've never seen them tout this game. I've seen like one or two ads online for it, and that's it. Like they, they need to start well, really supporting it loud and clear this interview kind of explains what your thing was but before i get into that my other point was going to be that while it while beginning of last gen it was well how often are you going to get playstation games i think we've really gotten the answer to that for the last five years of ps4 we've gotten two to three big first party triple a blockbuster releases from sony every year at least uh, and then we do get some smaller games like concrete genie what did we get last year so Death Stranding. Well, I mean, yeah. Days Gone. Days Gone. Okay, I was thinking, I was like, there was two at least. Yeah. And so, I knew Death Stranding. And then Concrete Genie was also last what? year. Wait, I thought Death Stranding was 2018. 2019. Oh, wow. So, my, my point being here, though, is that that's where we've reached, and then the beginning of PlayStation 5 right now, as, as long as these dates don't change, they're saying that we, we, you know, we started with the strongest launch lineup I've ever seen on a console. This is a real, you know, I think you're not lying. Vita was also a really strong launch lineup for a console that just sadly wasn't as popular, but it was a strong launch lineup with a lot of first party games. So, but you have that, but then continuing on the early year of the PS5, you know, Horizon is meant to be a first half of 2021 game is what they're estimating right now. Yeah. God of War is 2022, uh, 2021 right now as well. Probably Q3. Gran four. Turismo 7 is 2021 right now. Those are three big blockbuster games for Sony that are coming out in the first actual calendar year of PlayStation. To be fair, though. And that's... So if they keep that up, I get your point of, yeah, the games do take a while to come out, but Sony have f- figured a way out to rotate their studios around to where you're going to get two to three big games per year. Now, that does not mean that they shouldn't also c- keep their keep PlayStation constantly in the mind with I- exclusive indie games, either whether it through acquisition or through deals, which, again, we see right now, but push it more. Make it to where we always think about PlayStation when we think of those things. And that's how, in a way, I think you combat, you combat Game Pass by being the place to where a lot of people would expect a game like Concrete Genie, even, actually. If, it, if that game were to come from Microsoft, or to, even if it was through a deal, it would be on Game Pass. Yeah. You'd see a game like some of the earliest games, like Contrast or like Super Motherload, as an immediate deal that they'll do on Game Pass. Well, the way you do that is you take some of those games that people love about Game Pass and your ability to try and play them, and you get it to where it's like, hey, if you like those types of games, come play them on PlayStation. And because that's the only place you're going to get to play them. But what you were talking about with never showing those things and I agree that that's a problem. You end up in this thing where, in this thing, he's talking about it. You've got to have a block, a box office release. And I think what they're running themselves into is that you only ever have so much marketing dollar. And if your biggest games really need to be marketed in such a way that they actually perform the way you're hoping that they do day one, like Ghost of Tsushima did, selling five million units really, really quickly, right? Then I'm sure that's a really hard thing to balance. Of how do we market the games that we actually have a need to market? to make back our money on versus how do we market games that we put a deal in that are a little less risky. And 
it's at the end of the day, you only ever have so much marketing dollar. It can definitely be done better than it is, but I don't know if it's a problem that will ever completely be solved because of the fact that it's like Disney making a, a, a smaller movie that goes directly to Disney, um, Disney plus. plus. Yeah. But all you ever see is them being talking about the live action remakes that they're doing and the Marvel movies, because those movies are going to go to theater normally and they need more people to come and get them because distribution's much more expensive than when you go directly to the Disney oh, plus. Yeah. And it's the nature of, it's the nature of basic marketing dollar versus what's important for the marketing dollar and that you can find creative ways to more cheaply market other things. And maybe that's where I'd like to see PlayStation expand is find organic ways, whatever it be, to find a way to make PlayStation seem like the home of these big indie games so that you get that feeling. Right. And, and not that they already weren't, but it's a, well, yeah. And that's a, it's kind of a time consuming thing that'll happen hopefully over time. Um, so this week, as we said earlier, the community's take will be simple. It's, it's going to be the entire episode's point. Yes. Games of the generation. What we're doing, I believe we're going to discuss this hot, live on the mic, hot mic top five, right? Top five is what top we're going to do for ourselves. You can feel free to put your top five in. If you just want to shout out one in particular, you're more than welcome to. But what we ask is if you're going to give a top, we would like to go off of the order. Uh, I'll say that better. Actually. Not the game. Not the game, but the order of which you put them in. Because what we want to do is determine a game of the generation for the entire community. So we want all of you guys to put your games out there. And the games that are mentioned the most are going one. to be put out. That's what it is. It would solve itself. You don't have to put it at number one. You could, but maybe it's just the game that gets mentioned the most, even if it's fifth place yeah, in the thing so being game of the generation. There's no point values to one through five. It would just be Cyberpunk was mentioned six times. Well, yeah. Bloodborne was mentioned three, so obviously Cyberpunk, because there's no... Yeah. <laughs> we mentioned the game that's not going to be part of the conversation. It's an example. It's but a yes, hypothetical. We want to hear from all of you so that we can finally determine our community, our listener bases community game of the generation there will only be one game of the generation but we can give the runner-ups as well based off yeah. of what numbers we get in so that's going to go up monday when this episode airs you will have one week to get this information you better think on it to us five games and you could throw in because i think on the episode we'll do it too i'll throw in some honorable mentions but we'll do our top five and what we could do and what i plan on doing put them in order if you want Actually, no, I will say put them in order because that won't that won't affect the game itself that wins because it's just whatever's mentioned the most. But it'll be fun to go through and be like, well, my number four was this and so was his. And we could shout y'all out as well throughout the episode. So instead of having our normal communities take, because it'd be weird to kind of have it, right? It's yeah, like no, it's, it'll, we'll, we'll address yeah. it as part of the topic itself and then intertwine it. So yeah, do your top five, five being your least, well, I say your least, but your number one being your, your favorite worst game, game of the generation. working it up to number five being your fifth favorite game of the generation. And of course, for those that don't know, you can find us on YouTube every Monday at 12 noon central time and 10 a.m. Pacific time. You could find our triangle, uh, I mean, our, our triangle, I don't know why I do that. Our Twitter at triangle sqrd and that's where you can uh, intake with uh communities take as well as our discord and that's in the link description and below as well as our facebook group triangle square to playstation podcast you could go through and every one of those places i just mentioned except for youtube we'll have communities take question and you can take your favorite games put them in there for us and hear it right out on the show just as you normally do but also special shout out to manscape.com where you guys can clean your balls for a good price and give good Christmas presents as well. And like I said earlier in the episode, 
Manscaped.com. Use triangle sco- code SQRD. 20% off your order and your free shipping. Yep. As well, if hey, that supports us, but so does Patreon. So if you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash Nartech. And every quarter that we do, if you've been a patron for five bucks for three of those months. Well, I'm so glad you said that. You get a custom case that we've made. And... You get to pick. You get to, we'll send them out to you. Everything's taken care of. It's all nice and easy. If you're across the pond, it might be a little bit more money in shipping. But you know what? We'll try to take care of you regardless if you guys have taken care of us. And with that, I'm going to leave you to hear Brett's beautiful, sultry voice over the names of all the people that have been so gracious to help donate and support this channel through Patreon. So once again, it's been fun, this generation. And what I like, this is episode 189. 190 will be game of the generation. That's cool. That's It works out, I guess, it that does. way. So, right, well, thank you guys. We'll see you next week. Shout out to our patrons. Our newest one this month is, of course, Rich. Thank you, Rich. We also have Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Joshua Lago, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, and Richard Schaefer. Thank you so much for the support, and we hope you are doing well. Clean your ball.